We're going to start a brand new series today, and I, I don't know if you've ever uh, thought about when and how and how much uh, you pray. And, and oftentimes, uh, when I'm out to eat with people, uh, I don't do it as much anymore uh, because I think folks got tired of me saying it, uh, but they'll always inevitably look to me to pray. For some reason, I guess the pastor's closer to God than everybody else, which is probably the furthest thing from the truth. But they say, hey, will you pray? And I say, well, I pray without ceasing. So I just start eating. Not really. That's 1 Thessalonians 5. That's 1 Thessalonians 5 for all you people that really want to, you know, not impress your friends. Um, but, but do we think about when we pray and, and how much we pray and, and what is the context of our prayer? And as I think about that thing and, and when and how and if I pray, I think about Jesus and when he prayed. Uh, he, he prayed in crisis moments in his life. Uh, he prayed in significant, victorious moments in his life. He prayed when he was by himself or he would actually leave everyone else and go off to pray. And then there would be people who wanted them to teach wanted him to teach them how to pray. And so as I think about this idea of prayer, uh, I go to Hobby Lobby on a rare occasion. But, but often there's, we'll call it art, um, things that you put on your wall that will say things like, pray in all things. And that's wonderful to hang in your foyer. But, but the power of God is when we actually do pray in all things. And, and we seek our Heavenly Father that we may celebrate Him, that we may seek His wisdom and guidance, that we may receive healing and hope, that we may endure and persevere. And so how do we pray? When do we pray? And so over the next several weeks, we're going to look at uh, the Lord's Prayer, the Model Prayer, the Disciples' Prayer. It's been called by lots of things. Uh, but we're going to look at that and discover, really, what is it about prayer that, that our lives should be centered around? And so if you got a Bible today, uh, whether you're in person or online, we're going to be in Luke 11. Uh, Luke has a version of the Lord's Prayer the disciples' prayer, uh, and Matthew has a longer version. We're going to look at Luke's version in Luke 11, uh, and we're going to just read the first four verses and, and talk about one of the aspects uh, of prayer today. As Jesus is kind of walking through life here, Mary and Martha, that scene had just taken place, and he's off praying, and here's the scene. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Pretty simple. 
Jesus prayed at his baptism. Jesus prayed in other significant moments. He prayed for Peter later on when Peter was big and bold and thought, hey, I'll never deny you. Jesus said, I'll pray for you. He prayed at his betrayal. He he prayed when he was on the cross. And so even early on in his ministry, the disciples see something different in him when he goes off to pray, when he's talking to the creator of the universe. There's something different. And so they say, they ask him, teach us to pray. Like, we want to learn. We want to know. We want to become more like you, Jesus. And so the question that I have for us, because they saw something in Jesus that they didn't have. And so the question for us today, not just in this area of prayer, but, but in general is, what do you see in Jesus that you don't see in yourself? For the disciples in this moment, they didn't have the kind of relationship, the, the communication line, if you will, to, to the Father that, that Jesus did. And so they wanted to be more like Jesus in this moment. They wanted to learn to to pray like he prayed. And rather than tell them, uh, well, the reason why I'm so good at it is, is because I'm perfect and you're not. So just do your best. No, he didn't do that. He didn't say, well, if you'd pay attention more, you might learn a few things. No. He said, okay. When you pray, say this. Or in Matthew's version, pray like this. And so he models for them in this very short prayer five key features about our life and about God. It's 38 words in Luke's, in the original language, so don't go count them, okay? 56 or 57 in Matthews. But, but I think about it, we sometimes get, get worked up because we think we got to pray this kind of eloquent, long-winded prayer that it's got to impress everybody around us. Well, no, you don't have to do that. I, I, when I was in seminary, I think I've even mentioned this before, I had to do a paper on a revival in the 1850s. It was a prayer revival started by some, some laymen, some church members in New York. And it spread all across the U.S. Um, the military, the Navy was uh, tremendously impacted for the gospel through this. But the men who started it had a rule that at these prayer gatherings, it was a lunch prayer gathering. So these, all these people would come at their lunch hour, go to the church and pray, or go to the, the town square and pray. And there was a rule. You couldn't pray out loud for more than five minutes. And most of you are thinking, I can't pray out loud for five seconds. But, but the point is, it's not about the length and the eloquence. It's about the heart. It's about the power of God to, to speak to you and for you to acknowledge who he is. And so Luke's account here is the shorter of the two, most scholars believe that, that in their eyewitness accounts, Matthew used the basic formula of Luke and continued to write his version 
And so these five features that that Jesus sets out for his disciples, the first two are requests made to God about God. And we're going to talk about one of those today. Requests to God about God. The other three are requests or acknowledgments of God's investment in our activity, in our attitude, and our actions. And so before we dive into this disciple's prayer, I want you to know it's just that. It's a disciple's prayer. This isn't a prayer for someone who's far from God, who has no intention of believing or following after God. This is not just something you recite because you want to recite it. No, this is, this is a prayer that Jesus helps his disciples, his followers, the people who have trusted in him to use as a, as a model, as a guide. It's a model for our prayer life. And so he begins with perhaps the the hardest word in the whole passage. Father, hallowed, or hallowed, depending on where you're from. That's the hardest word in the passage. Hallowed be your name. In Matthews, it says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And I didn't pick this passage because today is Halloween. It just worked out that way. Because if you know history at all, uh, Halloween is Hallow's Eve. It comes the day before All Saints Day, which is tomorrow, November 1st, All Saints Day. So it's this idea of people dressing up as the saints before All Saints Day. And for those of you that love church history, all three of you in the room, it's also the day that Martin Luther, the great reformer in church history, nailed the 95 theses, the things that he wanted to use to help uh, reform the Catholic Church at the time. And so it's called Reformation Day. And so whatever you call it, Halloween, Reformation Day, uh, All Hallows' Eve, it it doesn't matter. This word hallow is an important word. It's a critical word to understand as we have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. Because it means holy, set apart. It means altogether different. And so as we pray... Do we pray with that mentality? That that God, we come to you today to sanctify your name, to, to declare your name is different than us. Your character is different than us. You are holy and set apart. You are majestic and mighty. Yours is the name above all names. You're the creator, the sustainer. You're our refuge, our strength. You are different than me. And I never want to bring you to my level. Because I'm calling on your name because you can accomplish what I cannot accomplish. And so I want to lift your name high. I want to set it apart. I want to remind myself and remind others that it's a beautiful, glorious, 
powerful name. Hallowed be your name. And that name is an important name, particularly in this passage. That name, Father. Father. In the ancient language, it's Abba, not the band, but Abba. Only three of you knew what that was over here, but that's fine. One of them lives in my house. Abba, this personal name of God. Because God is perfect in every way as our Heavenly Father. I don't know what kind of father you have, good, bad, or indifferent, uh, absent, present, wonderful, terrible, somewhere in between. But our Heavenly Father is perfect in every way. And so as a follower of Christ, we have the opportunity to call on his name, a relational name. Not some far and distant God who's way away. No, Father. Father. A name that's exclusive to those who love him. Exclusive to those who have placed their faith in him. And this title, this title of Abba, Father, is used 65 times in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then it's used over 100 times in the book of John. So it's an important word, and particularly for John, because he understands the relational connection between who we are and our Heavenly Father. That we have a Father who is perfect, who loves us perfectly, and we can go to him in all things, in all ways. And so I want to be able to call on him. I don't need a distant God. I need a close, relational God who believes in me and who I can believe wants the very best for me. Even in my worst, he wants the very best for me. And so because I'm an adopted son, I can call on his name. And I know when I call on his name, that name will be revered as hallowed. I don't know about you, but um, I never called my parents by their first name. It was never like, hey, Sherry. My dad's name is Ron. I didn't call him Ron. My stepdad's name is Doug. I didn't say, hey, Doug, what's up? Because dad, even pops or some slang I knew there was something special about that, and I didn't do that, mostly because I was scared of what would happen if I did do that repeatedly. But, but there was something special about that name, mom and dad. There's something special about that. It's beautifully close and relational, and, and, and there's something powerful about it. And as Jesus is helping the disciples understand our relationship with our Heavenly Father, it's exactly the same. That, that we, don't, we don't abuse that. Because I think back to the Old Testament and Exodus chapter 20. All you Bible scholars, you know the Ten Commandments are there. And the third commandment is what? Don't take the Lord's name in vain. 
And so I don't need to approach the name of God, even when I talk about my heavenly father or father, I don't approach that in a flippant way. Even I know it's a relational, there's a relational connection. I don't handle that name flippantly. A few years ago, because social media trends change by the moment, you know, OMG was a big deal. Well, I, I don't want to write that. Because that's a flippant way to think about the name of God. When I'm mad or angry or you're mad or angry, I don't want to give God a last name. It'll take you a minute to think on that one. <laughs> I don't want to do that. He doesn't hold water back, okay? With concrete. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be flippant about the power and the nature of God, even though he's close and personal to me. And so as Jesus shares with his disciples, he's reminding us that we have a loving, caring father who is close but he's altogether different from us. He's majestic. He's mighty. He's powerful. He's creator. He's the calm in the middle of our storm. And so I want our thoughts and our words to bring honor to his name. May our words and our thoughts bring honor to his name. And so as we think about not just prayer, but our everyday conversations, and we, and we think about what we say, and then when you and I speak to him in prayer, which is often, just as Paul tells us to do in Thessalonians, pray without ceasing, that, that we should have an attitude of prayer all the time. And when I do that, that I understand how close my heavenly Father is to me, but how reverent I need to be toward him. And so when I go to him in prayer, when I speak to him, when I speak to others about him, I want them to recognize the majesty, the beauty, the greatness of our God. Because we serve a great and mighty God who is holy and righteous. He's pure. He's good. He's all-knowing and all-powerful. And so when I pray, I want to pray to a heavenly Father who is all of those things. And so when we pray, and we pray, hallowed be your name. Will you bow with me?